Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. This is Money and me. I'm Michelle Martin. We're always uh, reading macro events and then drawing the lines back to equities with the help of our guest experts. Today joining me live is Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, U.S. House Speaker, speaking live right now at Capitol Hill, calling it a desecration of democracy, this moment of history that we are witnessing. Arun, good morning. How are you feeling? Uh, good morning, Michelle. I'm good. How are you? I am good. Happy to speak with you. But I wonder if you could help uh, put things in perspective for us. We, we've seen a violent mob storming the Capitol over in the U.S., but the stock market appeared to rally. Uh, lifted Dow Jones Industrial Average to a record close. So investors seem to be looking away from the violence. Can you help us understand what is happening Sure. I mean, so obviously, you know, if anyone's like turned on any news channel today morning when they wake up in Singapore, they would have seen truly horrifying pictures, right? Or videos of uh, these protesters storming uh, the Capitol building, something that's, I don't, at least, you know, in the last 50 or 100 years, it's definitely not happened in the US. And it's no doubt it's quite scary. But from the perspective of, and I was, you know, I was trying to toggle between Fox and CNN Mm. to try to get some kind of a, uh, you know, look at both sides of the coin, basically. And it was, to me, it was quite interesting to see both, be it the left or the right, both sides were unequivocally condemning this violence. And, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more of an optimist in this situation. I really do feel that this incident might actually enable people to try and get closer together rather than having the U.S. try and go even further apart. So from that perspective, I think the markets in to some extent also saw this as like a one-off event where there were, you know, maybe a couple of hundred to a thousand people uh, who were not representative of the even of the 49% or 48% that did vote for Trump, uh, some very few numbers actually decided to get violent and aggressive, which is absolutely should be condemned. Mm. But the rest, there were actually peaceful protests. So from that perspective, the market took a step back and was like, okay, this is not going to change anything. Biden is still going to become the president. And if anything, uh, the Senate, uh, Georgia had a, a Georgia state had runoff Senate elections that were also announced a couple of hours back. Mm. And that also went towards the Democrats. So now, since for the first time since 2008, I believe, the House, the Senate, and the White House will be controlled by the Democrats. Yep, that so blue in, wave has materialized. Absolutely. Mm. So in terms of just like, you know, of getting uh, various laws enacted and like pushing it through the entire uh, pretty much heavily bureaucratic uh, U.S. system, there should be... Uh, some amount of streamlining are taking place over here. And that will enable the market to have at least a lot more comfort that pretty much any kind of government uh, new initiative is not going to get blocked by uh, the opposition party. 
Okay, so no matter the political consequences, and it could still be really rocky, you know, given the takeover of capital and the fallout from that politically, but you say um, it looks like the driving force of the uh, session's gains, the stock market's gains, appear to be focused on that democratic sweep of the runoff elections in Georgia, and also perhaps optimism over uh, more aid spending? Uh, more aid spending, most definitely, because that's what, you know, one of the big uh, pedestals that the Democrats have run on. So, uh, you know, th- that definitely is going to be going through. And I think the market is, you know, taking uh, advantage of that fact. In the short term, you know, again, n- never can proclaim what's going to happen to the market. But from a macro, like slightly longer term perspective, I do not think this one instance is going to affect uh, the markets. But the big caveat is, the technology companies. And Mm. I think uh, just, you know, I think about an hour ago, Mm -hmm. Twitter banned uh, Donald Trump from tweeting anything else for the next 12 hours. Mm. And, uh, you know, took took down a couple of his videos where uh, they claimed that while he was saying, okay, you know, all the protesters should leave the Capitol building and all of this should be peaceful, he was also reiterating the whole election fraud uh, aspect of his what he's been saying the last couple of uh, months and i think that's going to cause potentially some more questions being raised be it in the house or the senate as to how much control technology companies can and should have over you know currently still until the jan 20th the leader of the free world and this is not just twitter but youtube facebook all of them came out banning uh or taking down uh Trump's uh, recent videos. And I think that's going to be a theme that's going to play out a lot more during the course of this year, not just in the US, but in the European Union too. Yeah, deplatforming is the word of the day, I think, when it comes to uh, YouTube, Facebook and Twitter and Trump. Now, speaking of those tech companies, you know, Facebook down 2.8%, Amazon down 2.5%, Apple down 3.4%, Google, Netflix in negative territory as well. Um, looking ahead, do you sense fears that the Democrats are going to crack down on big tech, uh, new regulations, legislation? Is that going to weigh on tech stocks? Um my personal take is I think this uh, small correction the last couple of days, uh, definitely yesterday or overnight for us in terms of tech, was probably more a shifting out of these quite rich sectors, the ones that have appreciated quite substantially over the past definitely a year, but you know, slightly longer term too, and potentially going into some of the more unloved sectors, especially we saw like banks, we saw oil stocks rallying quite a bit. Uh, saw uranium miners rally a fair amount also. So we're seeing like money transition from these really hot sectors to some extent, uh, you know, stepping back, evaluating the entire scenario right now and saying, okay, you know, let's try and diversify our risk out a little bit. So from that perspective, we could see like bumps up and down uh, over the course of the short term in terms of technology. I do feel though, you know, the COVID pandemic has and that's still ongoing in many countries, luckily not so much in Singapore, it is going to have a lasting impression on the on the aspect of, be it MNCs or even for that matter, SMEs and mom and pop stores going down this path of digital transformation. And that longer term theme is definitely going to stay and that will help out a lot of technology companies. The specific ones, I'll try and pr- probably take out 
Amazon from this list mm. and potentially maybe even Apple but the Twitter and the Facebooks and YouTube connected to Google slash alphabet of the world I think those are the ones that might have a lot more scrutiny in terms of be it Democrats or be it Republicans but is there just too much power without regulation being given to these massive platforms all right. Segwaying from that to the confusion um, being wrought by the New York Stock Exchange. So the NYSE, they did another about face overnight on those Chinese telecom stocks. The NYSE has reverted to its original decision. It will delist three major companies, China Telecom, China Mobile, China Unicom. So the NYSE has really done a pivot. Not a pivot, it's a complete 360 turn. Um, what do you think? Is, is this going to be final? What is your reading? <laughs> I, I wish I had that crystal ball, Michelle, <laughs> but sadly, it, 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 it's very strange, right? Because uh, you would think in one of the most, uh, if, if not actually, it is the most developed capital markets and potentially even judicial system, which is the U.S., how you're having such kinds of, you know, about faces and back and forth, which really leads to a lot of uncertainty for especially the retail investors, right? Like, what do you do with shares in those companies? And that's something that's extremely surprising what the end result will be for these specific three telcos. I have no idea. But, you know, it's definitely going to be a very anti- the entire market environment for this year and the foreseeable future, even with the Democrats in charge, it's definitely going to be a very, very difficult time for Chinese companies to be able to raise capital in the U.S. markets, which could benefit, uh, you know, some some other places, as we could see Hong Kong stock exchanges, HKEX, like the share prices rallied quite substantially because they know fully well that if Chinese companies are not going to list over there, It'll have to start moving to LSE or Hong Kong, and hopefully we'll see some of the benefit of that in Singapore too. So investors have been clamoring for details over in the U.S. I just want to take a step back and ask, so what, what is going to happen? What are they going to have to do? We know that the order, uh, Trump's order bans trading in the affected securities from January 11th. So if Biden leaves this executive order in place, uh, pension funds, investment firms, they're going to have to divest their holdings by November 11th. What does this mean for the retail investor? So, uh, from the so what what happens when a company is kind of forced to delist? All it means is that those shares mm-hmm. are not traded on the exchange, but they're still traded in the OTC or over the counter market. Now, uh, two things to that: large pension funds and you know your multi billion dollar endowments, etc they will find it extremely difficult to own these shares purely because of either various rules that are underwritten in their own uh, you know, investment memorandum, where they are forced to invest into only publicly traded stocks. The market cap has to be greater than like a billion dollars. The share price has to be more than one dollar, et cetera, et cetera. But from the perspective of liquidity, and what I mean by that is say tomorrow, uh, XYZ fund decides to sell $300 million worth of the stock hmm. because of the nature of the exchange and the fact that there are so many buyers and sellers present over there, you naturally form a market. The price drops a little bit if there's a lot of selling pressure and the price appreciates there's a little bit more of buying pressure. But with that gone, uh, all these larger 
money funds or endowments, et cetera, will find it very difficult. So they have probably already gotten out of this. And we could see that with the steep price drop when this announcement came, up, came across. But from the retail investor's perspective, they can actually still hold on to these stocks and just trade them pretty much as per usual or business as usual, but knowing fully well that the liquidity will be nowhere near to the amounts that they saw in the exchange. So over-the-counter is something, you know, it, it's, it's a, a, the literal definition where when you're trying to buy or sell something, it's not going to be through the exchange. There has to be the corresponding buyer on the other side, and you're facing each other directly in a way. So from that perspective, the retail investor who owns these stocks will not be affected in terms of potentially selling smaller amounts, but they're obviously affected in terms of the mark-to-market losses right now that you know they suffered because all these larger endowment funds and money funds had to get out of uh, that underlying stock picker. Learning how global geopolitics is uh, read by experienced investors. Joining me this morning is Arun Pai, his chief strategy officer over at Flow. So bad news. Uh, the trio of Chinese telecom companies have collectively lost more than 40 billion US dollars in market cap since the Trump administration announced that it would force the delistings. This on grounds, of course, that the businesses have ties to China's military. I remember there was a time on this show where pretty much everybody you were speaking to said, you know, China. China tech um, and China Chinese infrastructure stocks should have a place in everybody's portfolio. But yet we're seeing the net being cast by the Trump administration against Chinese companies and apps just widening. Just yesterday, we were discussing on the show how, you know, it was looking to ban transactions with eight Chinese apps, Alipay, WeChat. Now we have reports that the Trump administration is considering barring investments in Alibaba and Tencent. As an investor, uh, are you looking at the developments with concern? Most definitely. Now, the scary thing is not just the delisting aspect, right? Because sure, there is some mark-to-market pain that people had to suffer uh, if you had invested into the US-listed Chinese telco stocks. The bigger problem, as you absolutely spot-on highlighted, is if you know push comes to shove, and be it the Trump administration right now or you know, by the time Biden shows up, he'll have many other issues to worry with, especially COVID, before he can he and his team can get around trying to figure out how the US-China relationships are going to evolve over the course of his presidency. If these aspects of not allowing these large US, especially these large US institutional investors to not be allowed to like invest into your the likes of Alibaba and Tencent, not just being listed in the U.S., like not just the U.S. listed uh, versions of the, the company, but also the ones in like Hong Kong, that could be this massive lack of, uh, you know, potential buyers out there for these things. Because the U.S. institutional investor is still the largest by a long shot in terms of, uh, you know, money that's being deployed into these equity capital markets. So when that happens, that's going to be the big question mark to especially like retail investors, right? Mm-hmm. People like us who are sitting there and, and knowing fully well that these large U.S. buyers are not going to be there. And in fact, they would have to potentially sell out of many of these or all of these uh, underlying Chinese companies. How are we the smaller ants in this massive financial market? What's going to, what's going to be our end result? And that's something that's very scary, which all investors should be paying a lot of heed to.
Do you, what do you think this increasing geopolitical tension between U.S. and China could spill into? So I'll just share with you um, Leon Levy. He's a senior analyst with EuroAsia Group. And he was talking to CNBC about the top 10 risks for 2021. And he, of course, mentioned broadening U.S.-China tensions. And he highlighted how that could spill over to threaten um, an area that we saw a lot of people cheering when Joe Biden um, was confirmed as president-elect. And that is green energy. Do you agree that we're likely to see more competition when it comes to green energy between the U.S. and China? So my take on green energy is a little bit different. Like, I I do not feel that, you know, the U.S. and China divide is going to affect that industry as a whole. And the reason I say that is because uh, both sides of this divide, right, U.S. and China, have got phenomenal companies in this space, be it, uh, you know, the likes of, say, BYD or NIO or other, be it ele- uh, electric car manufacturers or battery manufacturers in China. And you obviously have the, the corresponding ones, Tesla, number of others in the U.S. So I don't feel, and it's not like these companies were sitting and sharing technology either, right? And so both have a lot of very strong, homegrown, 100% homegrown tech that is being used on either side. So from that perspective, uh, talking about like climate change and all these bigger issues that the world is facing, I do not feel that a U.S.-China divide will affect that industry as much, especially because the Democrats are running also on the fact that they really want to push, you know, green tech to come back in. They want to ensure that the Paris Climate Accord is going to be signed again. The U.S. is going to come back into that. So I do feel that from the global perspective, it's not going to affect it so much. And I think there's a lot of tailwinds for that industry. So this morning, we're waking up to so much chaos. During periods of chaos, I like to look at the U.S. dollar, and it was largely unfazed. Um, you know, it tends to find support during such periods. Then I, I, of course, had to look at Bitcoin, and I came across a report from J.P. Morgan saying, and we've covered Bitcoin Many, as many, in as many possible angles as we've, we can possibly, uh, we've asked what's next for Bitcoin next year. We've asked how, how far will this rally go? And then we saw over New Year, what a rally. So JP Morgan expecting Bitcoin, uh, to emerge as a rival to gold and expecting it to trade as high as $146,000 if it becomes established as a safe haven asset. What do you think? Okay, Michelle, let me ask you a question first, right? Let's try and turn the table around a little bit. Oh, no. Say, for example, today you had $600 billion in your account. Okay. Okay. That's close. And you have, uh, right? Uh, you probably <laughs> wouldn't be conducting the show right now. But anyways, other than that, let's say you have like a couple of choices. Okay. One is you can go out and buy and own every single Bitcoin that has ever been created since, you know, 2008, give or take. That's option number one. Okay. Or option number two is you can either own the entire Berkshire Hathaway and have like $50 billion to spare. Oh, this is good. Mm-hmm. Or you can own one, like 30% of Apple. Okay. Which one would you pick, right? And, and Apple, you know, Berkshire Hathaway had uh, earnings of $50 billion or $60 billion last year, give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Apple had that. Berkshire had something like $35 billion or $40 billion, give or take. 
So, you know, from the perspective of, uh, this is what Warren Buffett keeps talking about, right? Yeah. Like, don't think of buying like one share of the company mm. as, oh, you invested $1,000 into this. Mm-hmm. Think of it as you own 100, 1,000, or even one millionth of a certain company by deploying this capital into it. And when you take a look at it from that perspective, owning all the Bitcoin in the world, it'll be sitting over there, well, unlike gold, it'll be there in your computer servers or something today, mm-hmm. and the same thing will be there tomorrow and one year from now and five years from now. Vis-a-vis owning the entire Berkshire Hathaway or 30% of Apple, you're continuously being able to invest into a productive asset. And that, I think, is something that's very telling. Where, with, Given those choices and thinking about it from that perspective, it really, I, I would hope, will enable people to take a step back and saying, what exactly am I doing trying to buy into a certain investment? If the hope is that it will rally by three times or in this case, what, 35,000 to potentially be it 50 or 100,000, whatever. Mm. Sure, but that's only with the hope that someone else will come into this uh, market and be willing to pay a price higher than what you bought it for. And that's something that I just can't wrap my head around in the case of Bitcoin. Mm. And sadly, that's still my stance, right? Like, uh, I don't know. It's a very difficult, it's a very new investment and I get that entire perspective. Mm. Don't take me wrong, like just yesterday, or well, two, three days ago, it also dropped by 17%. Monday, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So you gave me $600 billion to spend. Can I spend it, Arun? Can I tell you my choice? <laughs> you know what? Buy Berkshire and you have $50 billion to spend in whatever else you want. I I'm think gonna, that's a fair I'm trade. I'm going to buy a uranium mining ETF because the U.S. Senate <laughs> Committee approved a bipartisan American Nuclear Infrastructure Act. Um, and that includes the National Strategic Reserve of Uranium. And you mentioned uranium earlier on as well. Uh, what do you think? Do, are you looking at all at demand for rare minerals? It, it's something that's come across uh, my table, at least, especially reading about the uranium seg- segment, because this is a sector that kind of went up, like it, it, most of the shares rallied anywhere between 50 to 100 percent last year. But from the perspective of the underlying uh, cost of uh, uranium, yeah. it's still substantially lower than what it was in 2007. Mm. So there is potentially still a lot of you know, space for that sector, be it, uh, you know, just uranium or just generally the larger segment of precious metals, I do feel that there is a lot of aspect or a lot of like value still in that segment. Me too. That's why I would spend 600 billion on it. (laughs) (laughs) Always a joy speaking with you, Arun. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you as always for having yourself. Arun Pais, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow, joining me on Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you for your company. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.